Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 90th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast, everybody. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. This week, we have Greg Kiger, Assistant GM of Stadium Events and Operations for the Lansing Lugnuts. Make sure to go back and listen to the catalog. 89 other fantastic episodes um, with so many different people. Uh, there's definitely something for everybody back there. You probably know somebody who was interviewed. Um, if you want a shout-out, it's super easy. Just drop a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. That helps drive us up the charts and turns more people into members of the TARP crew. I do want to share the latest comment here, so bear with me. And this is from D.R. Fryer, and it's titled Great Baseball Podcast. It was five stars, and he says, I'm really enjoying the stories about MILB. This is an excellent podcast for anyone interested in the minor leagues or baseball in general. I'm working my way through past episodes and have enjoyed every one. Shout out to D. Fryer. That was... That's an amazing review. Um, so, again, super easy to get a shout-out on the pod. Just drop a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. Um, you should know by now, but in case you missed it, in case you're living under a rock or something like that, uh, there is a designated Twitter account for the podcast, so go ahead and follow that at Pulling Tarp Pod. That's where you can find all up-to-date news about the Pulling Tart Podcast and reach out about coming on as a guest. That's where businesses can reach out as well to become sponsors. And if you'd really like to, you can also follow me on Twitter at It's R.A. Coon. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. Uh, we do have merchandise now. We have Pulling Tart Podcast merchandise. You can get stickers, coffee mugs, and wall art. Uh, you can find that on the Pulling Tart Podcast Twitter account or on tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com and get you some Pulling Tart Podcast merchandise. I'm toying around with the idea of an I of um, having T-shirts. So if you have any ideas for that, I don't really think the logo for the podcast translates over to a T-shirt. But if you have any ideas, please let me know. That would be great. Um, and just wanted to keep you up to date. Unfortunately, there will not be an episode next week because I will be on my honeymoon finally more like a one-year anniversary trip with my lovely wife in antigua don't worry i'll certainly have a drink for you guys with that being said let's chat with greg kiger
Greg, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. Super happy to have you on. How was your Thanksgiving? Um, and then, is Thanksgiving your least favorite or most favorite holiday, considering you're a Lions fan? Um, Thanksgiving was great. Uh, it was nice to, honestly, to get away from the ballpark for a day or two. Yeah. And uh, I mixed feelings on Thanksgiving. Actually, my best Thanksgiving memory was at a Lions game okay. uh, in college. Uh, a buddy of mine went out and saw the Lions beat Steelers 45-3. to and, uh, and, you know, been a lifelong Lions fan. And, and to, to think back to that day, there's not very many better days than that. So I hang on to that one pretty dearly. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So... I know this is a pretty common question to those who work in minor league baseball, but um, what exactly are you up to this offseason? What's what's your big projects? I know you were just saying that it was going to get a little crazy because uh, the Lansing area is expecting some snow here soon. But, yeah, just kind of elaborate what exactly you're up to this offseason. Well, what's what's nice for the operations, the events world, we you know the the job never stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a banquet hall in our uh, outfield building that we continue to have uh, events. Uh, we have five more leading up to Christmas, so we're, we're still doing that. But really, our bigger projects right now, uh, Major League Baseball protocols, as all of us minor league uh, teams scrambling to meet their codes, and right now we. We are about two weeks away from finishing up our LED light project, uh, which will give us um, uh, one get us out of the uh, the old bulb uh, world with our lighting, um, okay. and we'll have LED lights here in a couple of weeks, and that will change the way we're able to do things. Um, basically, press a button and all our lights are on or off, or we can do colors, we can do all kinds of things, and gone will be the days right. Flip a couple electrical switches and pray that all the bulbs come on. Yeah. So. Um, that's one of them. We're doing the renovation downstairs. There's several projects, again, based on the Major League Baseball protocol for uh, sizing of different rooms, um, giving the visiting team uh, more space to do some more things to make it a little more even as far as what the home team has. So there are quite a list of projects that us and every other minor league team is going through. To, uh, we have a three-year window to to make all these changes. So probably the biggest one yet is um, we have to have two working batting tunnels and we've had one and I'm sure many other teams only have one. So right now we're in the process of working these last two years, trying to find the most cost-effective way to get a second batting tunnel Um, in a, in a urban setting like we are here in Lansing, there's just no more room to, to go uh, East or West or North or South. So we got to find it in the footprint we're in. So that's that's the big one right now that uh, won't happen this year, but we're still going through some um, really looking at different areas of what we already have and how we can turn that into a, a hitting tunnel. Okay. And so I've never been to Lansing Stadium, but obviously I've been uh, friendly with Jesse Goldberg-Strassler um, and some other um, you know, radio announcers that travel there. And so you guys are, your stadium's right downtown, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. So, and you've been, you've been in athletics, whether it be collegiate or minor league baseball for a while now. So what are the benefits um, 
what are the good and bad of having a stadium in right downtown Lansing? Um, everything is close. Uh, people can come down here and get dinner first, get some drinks, come to the ballpark, and then leave, walk across the street, and, and do something post-game as well. Okay. Uh, some other areas that uh, are kind of out of the way, don't, you know, you can't make it real an evening event out of it. You're either going to the game or you're not going to the game. Sure. So I would say that's one of the benefits. Um, parking's a struggle. The city owns all the parking around here. So whether it's a baseball event or another event, that's one of the first things we talk about is who do we have to get into the stadium the closest and umpires, scouts, uh, players, where the bus is going to go, some of those things. Um, you know, we've been around 26 years now, so some of those things have been figured out. But uh, um, when we have some other events, uh, that's one of the first things we talk about is if they have an outing here at the ballpark that's not related to baseball, we've got to figure out where they're going to park, how much it's going to be, get parking department involved and get there okay, make sure there's nothing else major going on in the city that's going to take up the parking. And, and part of my job all these years is trying to answer all the questions before they get asked so they can okay. come in here and, and and have the expectations and not have any surprises okay okay very cool um so like i said you've been in and out of athletics um you know your your entire professional career but you did you were an adjunct professor at northwood university so i wanted to know what that was like and then you know, the second part of that question is, what was the number one thing you tried to teach your students? You you taught a, what what was it? what was the class called? It was it was like a sports industry class, correct? Yeah, yeah. I taught both uh, semesters that year. Um, I taught two event facility management courses in one semester, and then a marketing promotions course the next semester. Very cool. So. Um, tell you what, it was, it was pretty cool getting up in front of people that were just like me, uh, obviously several years ago, but just wanting to learn the realities of working in sports because it, it seems glamorous and wonderful and all these, all these great things to be tied somehow to these, these athletes that we look up to, Mm -hmm. um, obviously minor league sports, you're at the lowest level and and not knowing, you know, which guy it's going to be or which two guys it's going to be. And, uh, um, and you know, I, I can't say it's not glamorous because you get to do a lot of cool things with it. But yeah. when you're in the operational world and, and depending on what part of the ballpark or what department you work in, um, operationally, you're, you're here at 8 a.m. Game may not start till 7 p.m. Probably and we play long games here, so it's not yeah. unlike Lansing Lugnut Baseball to play here till quarter to 11, 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Got another three, four hours to clean up the stadium and get home at two or three. And and this past year, with, with the changes to the six-game series, you're back at it six days in a row. Yeah. Uh, Sunday, you're playing in the early afternoon, so got a late Saturday game, and, and you may not go home. We've had interns and myself and our ops manager who – um, just sleep on one of the couches upstairs on those quick turnaround days. And that's, that's life as we know it. And mm-hmm. so I think I let them know, um, the students know really what the realities are and, and the harder you work, probably the better chance you have of having something pretty cool happen, whether it's 
you know, you got, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. here a few years ago and, and his dad stops by. And, and when I worked uh, up with the loons at Great Lakes and, you know, our, one of our first players was Clayton Kershaw and then we had Don Mattingly's son. So Don Mattingly was around and we had Andy Van Slyke's son. So he was around and, and so you, you work your butt off to put yourselves in those positions and they happen like that. And then you're back to your mundane day of, um, just prepping the stadium. So really it's, it's the realities of the sports world. Um, you know, one of the first things I hear when I, when I interview people that how much they love baseball and they love sports and that's great because I do too, sure. but don't, don't get into this field with that as your number one priority, because it's, it's some long hours the, the pay isn't great until you get up to the top of the scale and it takes a lot of work to get there. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and really the only other thing I really taught them, um, outside of the realities of what your day is going to look like, regardless of what the book may be telling you, uh, having put as many years as I have into it, um, you know, what you plan on one day is probably not is what's going to happen that day and so many other things. And, and really along with that and getting your first job and thinking and, and wanting to make a difference and doing all those things and, you know, try to tell them just be patient with that first and probably your second job too, because mm-hmm. you're going to do a lot of, menial tasks to help out you want to get your foot in the door and do some good work but you've got to be patient with the process like anything else because it's it's not all bells and whistles and, and you're gonna to have to put the hard work in to put yourself in that position and right now it's you know it goes back to um, who who you know and, and for me i want to find the hardest working person that i have a great job and and you've got to you've got to rely on the people you've met show them what good work looks like and they're going to help you get that next job. And it's, it's really just about, uh, you know, we hear the grind a lot, but you know, you got to put in the work to to get the best out of what you can have and, and get the people that you're working for to help you get to the next step. Yeah. I, I know some, some interns that I probably scared away from the industry that probably should have taken your class before, they, before they got an internship, um, a lot of people, yeah, they just think that their love for the game is is going to throttle them through their career, and and that's just not the way that it's gonna go. Um, you know, me personally, I grinded it out for eight years, and I was nowhere in a position where, um, you know, the the pay the pay just wasn't where I needed it to be at that point in my life. So um, I had to I had to call an audible and get out of the industry, um, but but yeah, it's just incredible. Like you know these blue eyed, bushy tailed interns that you get, and they're like, yeah, I love baseball. I'm, I'm and then their first twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen hour day, um, they 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 start questioning everything as they should. But but right. Um, right. But it's amazing that the the ones that do work out in the industry, um, you know that that's always great because like you feel like you had something to do with with them, you know, contributing to the industry. I, I suppose. Right, right. And that's you know I look back at a lot of the students I had, whether you know it was when I was the assistant AD at Central or uh, working down in Jacksonville, Florida, or at University of Notre Dame. You start seeing kind of the 
the roots you put down and seeing the students come up and, and LinkedIn has been one of the best things for me to kind of keep track of everybody and see how far they've come along and what they've done in their life. And it's just incredible to see now that I've been in the sports industry as a whole for, for a, a few decades now, mm -hmm. it's, it's just great to see. Uh, I had a student worker come with his family and two kids to a game uh, last year. And I mean, last time I saw him, he was just, 20 year old kid and and just worked hard and all of a sudden he has a family of four and out in the world doing great things and it's 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 great to see that yeah did any of your students go on to to work in the sports industry and have you know a, a pretty notable career um a couple a couple more in the entertainment part of than the sports part okay. but uh have one uh working at a ice rink downstate and uh, a couple that are actually went back and they're going through grad school right now. Oh, cool. And, uh, but it's, it's always great to hear, you know, they'll see a post and they'll reach out and text me and it's just, it's fun to catch up. But yeah, if, if you guys got to be willing to put in the work and, and yeah, you got to love the sport because there's a lot of downtime. When I say downtime, I mean, between pitches and, you know, you're putting out little small fires here and there, and, and you're going to be there a lot. So, yeah, you better love it, but not because you played it. You better love it because, you know, you love the romance of it. And whether it's whether it's hockey, because I spent some time in, in ice rinks. And and so it's it's just one of those things that you better love it as a whole because yeah. it's going to take some time. But it's it's awesome. I love it. For sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so, so you've been with Lansing for a little while now, um, and they were a Toronto Blue Jays affiliate for 15 years, and now they're an Oakland A's affiliate, who I'm familiar with because when I worked in Beloit, we were an Oakland A's affiliate. So what has been the reception of the Lugnuts' new affiliation with the Oakland A's after that long stint of being a Blue Jays affiliate? Well, I think the pandemic had something to do with, uh, I'll say, a smooth transition, um, really leading up to the day that we thought we were going to announce that we were going to be back with Toronto. Um, we found out we weren't, and it uh, had more to do with Major League Baseball telling Toronto that Oakland was not. So I think Oakland was getting out of Beloit, but I think yeah. they were going to head to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And Major League Baseball and I'm sure it had to do with Vancouver being in Canada and Toronto being in Canada and obviously what the pandemic put us put us all through. And so we went from one day thinking that, um, you know, we're going to be Toronto's 16th year. Um, we ended up being sent Toronto to Vancouver and sent Oakland to us. And uh, but I think the pandemic and being out of minor league baseball a year probably helped with that transition because it wasn't such a quick you know, you're seeing Vlad Guerrero Jr. one year, and all of a sudden you're, you know, seeing a Oakland A uniform and another. Right. But uh, so that probably helped ease it uh, for us. Actual with uh, you know, we had Toronto's equipment here for months because they couldn't get back up from the border. We couldn't send it to Vancouver, and Oakland's one day said, "Hey, we were putting everything in Beloit in a semi truck, and it's going to be there in a week." And so we had to house both until okay. Toronto actually sent their GM of Buffalo to Lansing to pick all their stuff up and take it up to Buffalo. Oh, wow. And uh, so that was that was the only way to get their stuff out of here. And uh, so that happened uh, probably 
three or four weeks before our season even started, we finally got rid of Toronto. Okay. So, so uh, logistically, that it was tougher than than I think um, you know people who just saw an affiliation change and then they think you know being Oakland now you think Moneyball and there's some romance yep. to that too. So uh, you know if it had been Texas Rangers or somebody else, it might have been a little different. But yeah. uh, you know, I, again, going back to Jesse, he does such a great job of keeping our fans up to date with, you know, who's the hot guy and who we should be looking at, who's down in single A or um, low A since we got moved up to high A. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he such a, does such a great job with those things that yeah. uh, really made the, the transition much, much easier because he was letting people know who to look for. And, you know, we had a couple of uh, Michigan kids on the roster uh, early right. in the season and, that always helps too. Yeah. So, so uh, I, I would say it was pretty good. That's awesome. Yeah. Jesse um, is, has been a guest on this podcast and um, I always look forward to, to seeing him every other year when, when I was in Beloit, I did not travel with the team and, and he did. Um, and he is one of my favorite broadcasters to, to listen to and his attention to detail and not only the broadcast, but his game notes, uh, the press releases that he writes for the Lugnuts is stellar. Um, so what what's it like working with him on almost a day-to-day basis? I know he travels with the team and, and, and you know, you're back working at the stadium, but what's it like working with Jesse? I call him the voice so nice they named him thrice. So... <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jesse is just so much fun to be around. When I first started uh, March uh, a year, over a year ago, um, he was finishing up his duties as a basketball announcer at Central Michigan, where mm-hmm. I went to school. So okay. we had an immediate tie-in and uh, couldn't wait to, for him to get back with us full-time and get to know him. And and he's such a historian. And I, yeah. I claim to be kind of a historian, but not at his level yet. So <laughs> we have a lot of discussions on, you know, nicknames back in the early 1900s and and it's just it's it it's a fun relationship to have with him because i love it at that level like he does but you know you you see him with scouts that stop by and and he just has you just listen to conversations about players and he has every detail at his fingertips he wants to make sure that everybody has the same details he has and and there's not a greater guy in the business right now yeah I always appreciated the fact that, you know, Beloit is not a desirable place. At least it wasn't um, when we were still at the old field. Um, You know, not a desirable press box to work in by any means. And a lot of, you know, in the Midwest League, there there was the Western side and then there was the Eastern side. And the Eastern side, you know, always had the better facilities, the nicer stadiums. And then when those guys came to the Western side, especially to Beloit, you know, there was a little bit of complaining and grumbling. Um, Jesse never complained at all, um, which I always super appreciated because he, he knew we were working hard with what we had. Um, So I, I just always, that was one of the reasons I always loved when he came to visit and he's just a great storyteller, great to talk to, um, great to work with. So I'm, I'm glad that he's, uh, he's been with Lansing for, for a long time. He's great to have around. And even when he's out on the road and I'll have a question for him, uh, what's great is even during the season, 
he'll get wind of something or I'll get wind of something uh, on a possible player movement. And if I hear it first, I let him know so he can start doing his research. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's it's a fun relationship to have. Right yeah. There. Okay. Awesome. And then, so I know stadium operations, you know, it's kind of do a little bit of everything, right? Um, but as working in minor league baseball, there's always like um, other duties as assigned, right? Like no, something that would never be listed in your job description ever. Um, right. So what is that um, number one other duties as assigned moment for you? Well, it, you know, it's some nights, and again, this past year was, was so crazy. Um, you know, first we weren't, we were only at 20% capacity here in Michigan. So we had to make sure that we had sides, mm-hmm. seats tied down and we go through all these things. And then it seemed like I'll say overnight, cause I felt like it was overnight, but within the first, you know, two weeks of the season, the team was on the road for two weeks. And then we found out June 1st, we were going back to hundred percent capacity. Okay. And as far as having the number of employees you needed to go from 20% capacity was hundred percent capacity was, um, mind numbing because right. we had so far to go in such a short time. So other duties as assigned would be to do wristbands out front and, you know, the for 21 and over and help pour beer here and there. Um, obviously if somebody doesn't get down in time, you're, you're uh, fifth inning, you're helping rake or you just, you just never know. But uh, that's the beauty of this field is you're never going to be bored because there's always going to be something to do. There is always something to do, um, and if you're not asking what you can do next, you're not pulling your weight, and you're going to find yourself working somewhere else because yeah. that's that's what this job and these businesses are here for is, is for uh, you to get involved in wherever you can. And that's, you know, going back to one of your first questions about the offseason, what I love being the operations and events guy, I can go into an offseason meeting and talk about theme nights and mm-hmm. marketing and promotions and and again, with my uh, with many different jobs I've had, uh, I could pull something out that we did at the college level or at the minor league ice hockey level that might work here. And yeah. so I'll put my two cents in and we'll talk about it. And that's what's great about Tyler and Zach and everybody around here is that we're not afraid to throw something against the wall and, and see if we can make it work, see if it sticks. And if it doesn't, can we tweak it to make it work? Because you might as well have fun while we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I really do think like all of your experiences, you know, definitely tie into what you're doing there in Lansing, and you can contribute in a, in multiple facets there. Um, you were saying that you were had to pour some beers, um, you know, this past season, and I didn't realize this until just recently. I was I was pouring a beer out of a out of a kegger and. Um, I somebody said, "Wow, that that's one of the best pours I've ever seen." And I was like, "Well, my many years of minor league baseball certainly helps <laughs> with with that." Do you, I do you think you have a good a good beer pour? You know what? I'm probably one of the worst because I'm not patient enough. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I just want to, you know, I I get out there and do it and and uh, no matter what I do, it's about getting it done and getting on the next task. I'm an awful beer pour because I don't take the nice steady time to, to, you know, 
give it that perfect pour and that's just out of my uh let's get on to the next one okay so i i, I wasn't good at that job okay no worries what's so i'm before i jump into this i'm sure you probably schedule a lot of game day staff members um a lot of them are probably young i would imagine uh, but what's the worst excuse that a game day staff member has ever used to call out of work? You get that a lot. And uh, at any age, you still get that a lot now. But I, probably the, the, the worst one, and he probably came back one more time, and then he didn't show up another time, and we were just done with it. But he couldn't come into work because he had a friend come in from out of town. This is only night in. Um, could we make it work? Uh, we tried to do without him. Um, we figured out, you know, it was one of our prime nights where we could probably, uh, not have to have him in. Mm -hmm. And then an hour later, he brought his friend to the game. Oh my God. So, so, so we basically went the long way around to actually have to work for him as him being a fan. And he just, kind of beat your head up against the wall. And it's like, you know, you should have probably done something else instead yeah. of come to the game with your friend. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, you know, you have those moments and you just work through them. And again, um, this past year taught us a lot about people and how they work. And, and, you know, some people, they just have so much, you know, they just want to show their best no matter what they're doing and they're going to work hard for you. And not everybody is built that way. Yeah. And and when you get to a point where how much you're, you know, I found myself saying if this was five years ago, you probably wouldn't be back because we wouldn't have needed the bodies. Yeah. This past year, we needed everybody we could find. And sometimes you don't find the best people or people cut out for this job anyway. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I went through, we, we had two interns most of the year, um, one intern worked out perfect. So she worked her butt off and I would hire her in a second. Should we have a full-time job here in operations? Um, and then the other seasonal position, we went through three interns. The first guy did not come back the second day after he power washed his first day. Didn't come back the second day. Yeah. Next guy we, we, we had in was here, um, was a college athlete, was gone a lot. And it just wasn't working out very well and found, we found somebody to finish out the season and, and, uh, but it just, you know, you just want hard workers. People are willing to do, do it the right way, get the job done, get on to the next task, ask how they can help. And you just find in, and again, operationally, it's a lot different than, than maybe a marketing person or a promotions person or a salesperson because you're looking for different attributes, but you just want them to work hard and, and get the work done and, and get on to the next, yeah. uh, next task. Yeah. Like, like when I was in Beloit, um, we had a very small front office staff, so we relied heavily on interns and, I mean, even though I was director of media relations and marketing, um, I was still sweeping the stands. I was stocking the shelves in the concession stands. Like, I was still cooking hot dogs, pouring beers, you know, every every once in a while. And um, there was we were always hurting for bodies too. And but there was one year we just had an intern that was so bad 
even though we needed the body, we just we just let that person go, and we just we just ate it and worked a little bit harder that year. It was, yeah, yeah man. That's why I don't think people realize if you take one or two bodies out of the situation, you're just making everybody work harder. Yep. And you know that's that's not fair to the hard workers because they're gonna do anything you ask and it seems like every day we get minus one person and you're asking the person that's already working their tail off to do it do it faster do more because they're one of the you know last ones left so Mm -hmm. so it's definitely a double-edged sword yeah that's for sure So what's the craziest situation that you've, that has happened during a game that you've had to assist with? Actually this past year. Um, and I've, you know, you, you think you've been around long enough, you've seen it all. And, and, uh, uh, as I was saying before, we have a, a banquet hall and a bar as part of a, our outdoor venue attached to the apartments they built about five years ago. <laughs> and I am down on the field with our other assistant GM, just making sure pre-game ceremonies go well. Um, we get um, the national anthem singer out in place. And then I hear the alarm fire alarms go off in that outfield um, venue. And so I'm listening through my earpiece and trying to talk as I'm you know, on the field behind everybody and the national anthem gets started. And so I mean, you can see the red lights flash from the, from everywhere. You can hear it. And I'm trying to, you know, I, I can't leave my spot. So I'm trying to call somebody on the radio to, to get, to make sure that we don't have a true situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get word that somebody, as, as the national anthem's finishing, I start walking around to walk around to the outfield. Uh, I get word that somebody had pulled the fire alarm. Everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, and where, where are, outfield um, venue is is next to the um, tunnel that leads oh. from the grounds grounds area and we had uh having fireworks that night and so as soon as the um fire alarm's still going on but as soon as i get word that everything's okay i see smoke coming out of the tunnel oh boy. and then i hear fireworks going off and apparently as this was going on they were testing the fireworks with the fire marshal and actually lit a live one and it started shooting off. So I'm running out there going, maybe there's a situation after all. So anyway, you know, we're trying to get the game started and I got fire alarms going off. I have smoke in the outfield, I have fireworks going off and it's just one of those situations like, okay, what else are you going to throw at me today? And, mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the most recent craziness that I had never gone through before, but you know, those situations that you feel like it, you know, you're going through this 20 minute time span, probably lasted three or four minutes. Mm-hmm. But during that moment, you're just hoping everything, everybody's okay. Our playgrounds on the other side of the town. It's like, no, you just don't know what the situation is. And you're out there. Everything was good. They just accidentally set one of the fireworks wow. off during their test and, and uh, the fire alarm was nothing. And so we didn't, you know, we had 200 people out there. And so it's, you know, 
then the game's starting and, and you got this whole little thing going on. So uh, it makes for an interesting time. But again, that's why you're in this field because yeah. you want to sit behind a desk for 10 hours a day. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm with you on that. Hey, I do work behind a desk for eight hours a day now. And I, my back kills me every day. And I'm like, I'd much rather be, be up uh, moving around taking stat packs wherever, you know, I, I don't know, but, um, it's always, it's always greener on the other side. Because, yeah. You know, you get into July and you know, you've had two home stands in a row and, and, you know, we have nitro circus and we had a concert this year. So you have so many things on your, I'll call them off days. The team's on the road, but we still have other things going on at the ballpark. It's like, you know what? Maybe sitting behind the desk for, for a while isn't so bad, but yeah, yeah. I tried that too. In the middle of my tenure, my family runs a real estate business up in a small town in Northern Michigan. And, and I got out of it when my kids were, my, my daughters were grown. I had a younger son and, and I got out of it for family reasons. And yeah. I did that for a while. And then he got older and I, you know, started doing my own thing. And, and now that he's out of high school and I, you know, I had to jump back in. Yeah. Yeah. I I can I can certainly see why um, being being out for for a little while now, um, but yeah that's that's cool though. Um, and you've worked in Lansing and you worked in Great Lakes and I know Jacksonville and stuff like that. Um, so you have to have at least one like pretty wild tarp story right like you know know, it's it's i i do we've had a couple you know the the worst ones seem to be when the umpires take a little bit too much time making that decision yeah and by the time you've unrolled the tarp you're soaking wet and the the field isn't great uh probably the craziest time is is when the winds just got so bad that by the time we had it pulled the other the half we had laid first was you know 25 feet up in the air trying to overlap everybody and Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. I remember, I think this past season, after we had some rain showers, our team was up in Midland, as a matter of fact, okay. and the, and the umpires had waited so long that they ended up not being able to pull the tarp over the first baseline. And they lost the whole next day because they had waited so long and the tarp got so heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that could have come with, you know, just not enough people around to pull it, but right. the, that thing gets heavy when it gets wet and, uh, you know, goes, that goes to, you know, you, you spend a couple times or a couple of years pulling tarp and you, you choose your placement too, because you, you have those people that don't realize where they're at and they're mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're running with the tarp and they're over the pitcher's mound and they lose their footing and, and you learn places to be. And, and, uh, it's just, you know, it's just one of those experiences that until you pull tarp, you don't realize what it is. And, and the, the uh, experts down there, they're, you know, you just got to listen and pull when you're supposed to and not when you're not. And, and uh, just realize that you can lose in a game in a heartbeat if, mm-hmm. if you don't get it on on time. So, um, but yeah, there's been a few uh, tarp monsters in my, in my lifetime and, and uh, you just never know what you're going to get out of it. But like I said, the worst parts are, are the ones when the umpires are trying to finish out an inning. If you're in the seventh or eighth inning and trying to finish it up and, and by the time you roll it out, you're so wet. And it's like, and then you wait around for an hour and a half. You know, once you peel it back, it's going to take another 40 minutes to get it prepared. And right. maybe you just put it to bed and come back early the next day. And that's when the, 
the, the GMs and the managers and the umpires get in a little room and have those discussion four or five times. And, right. and <laughs> it never seems like the right decisions made, but you know, everybody's an expert at that point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, that's one thing I don't miss is, is pulling tarp. There was, there was a point during the pandemic where I was like, you know, I could, I could go for, for a good tarp pool right now, but I, and then I've gone to a couple games now where I have a beer in my hand in the in the crowd, and they've I've seen my friends that are still working in the front office. They they're out there pulling tarp, and I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm I'm good with this right, right, right. now. Yeah, and it's it's strange enough being in the crowd, having been in and out of it again, having a beer in your hand during a baseball game just seems like the most foreign thing. And yeah, and it's the most typical thing if you're just a fan in the stands enjoying it on a hot night. And, but it's the, it's, you know, having gone out of it and I probably didn't go to a game the first year I was out and then I went to game the next year and, and it was just the strangest thing to have a beer in my hand and watch everybody doing the work. Yeah. It's super, super strange. I'm overanalyzing like everything just because, you know, I used to, I used to work there. Um, but, but I, I could get used to it. Like there, I walk around, um, the shorebirds have a new 360, um, you know, concourse and that was nice. Um, you know, having a couple beers, that was, that was nice. Um, but yeah, part of me does miss it for sure. Um, so Greg, where can the listeners find you on social media? Obviously you're on, you're on Twitter, you're on LinkedIn. Um, where else? You know what? That's pretty much it. That's where I focus my attention to keep track of my old workers. Um, I love Twitter for, for a number of things. Um, you know, I have a 19-year-old son now, and, and it's just kind of fun to go back and forth when somebody says something on there a little insane that we can have a little fun with. And, mm-hmm. and you know, living in Michigan, I'm sure it's everywhere where, you know, we being a central grad, so we got central, western, and eastern, and then you got the Michigan, Michigan State people, and and it's just unbelievable the things that people use Twitter for. But, you know, going back to, again to one of your other questions about about my students and and that's one thing we talk about is, you know, you got to be careful what you put out because, uh, you know, darn well that you're going to go into an interview and, and people search that stuff out. And, and mm-hmm. we do the same thing looking for whether they're younger workers or older workers. You want to see what type of person you're bringing into your yeah. bringing into your culture. And and that can that can kill your job at a chance quicker than anything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've. I've definitely made that decision based on social media. If it was between one person and another person, you look at both of their social medias and you're like, Oh, okay. That's, that's a red flag right there. You don't, you don't bring that person in. Um, but so you're on, um, LinkedIn and then Twitter at, uh, G Kiger seven. Correct. So that's a R not E R. Yep. It'll be, it'll be in the spelling of, um, of the description for the episode so um perfect yep g k i g a r seven so make sure to follow greg there um you've been you've been around the sports industry for for a while now what has been your favorite walk-up or warm-up song in your minor league baseball career and whose was it well i'm gonna say it's probably not what you typically hear but my first year with the Looms, we had a former Tiger pitcher 
um, who was our pitching coach. And okay. he, every time he walked out, he walked out to Midnight Train to Georgia, which is an old 70s song that maybe not a lot of people have heard. And we always wondered why that song, but he wanted that song until about three weeks into our first season, uh, we went out after a game. And that's the song him and his wife do karaoke to everywhere they've been. <laughs> and so he finally was like, oh, okay, now it absolutely totally makes sense. But that was their favorite song. And and uh, so that one that one gets me every time. Every time you don't hear it on the radio too much anymore. But yeah. Um, but until you see him and his wife sing that at karaoke at about you know midnight, it's it puts it all in the perspective. That's super funny. Um, this story has an has an Oakland tie into it. So um when he was in Beloit, he's now the so Fran Reardon is now the manager for Triple A Las Vegas, um, for for Oakland. And um he he asked me to give him a walk up song. I was like, What do you mean a walk up song? He said, Whenever I go to pull a pitcher I want a song that played. And I was like, okay, what was it? And it was some ACDC song. I can't remember what it was. And he, he said, that was my walk-up song, you know, my entire career as a player. And, and it's just kind of a badass song. So I want you to play that every time I pull a picture out. And I was like, okay, deal. So uh, those are fun because, you know, you get, you know, in this life, it's, you know, you get all these younger guys that have all these choices of songs and if they go over four and strike out three times, and they got to change their song because that's right. what made them have such a poor game. And, and, uh, Terry Alpert, our, uh, our media guy here, our, our production guy is, is in charge of all that. Mm-hmm. Finally, he's like, it's like, Kyger, you got to let them know. They just can't change a song anytime they want to. Yeah. So take some time to do that. So, uh, you know, typically they change it once during the year and, and you got to live with it. And, but it, it's fun. It's fun seeing kind of a little side of their personality oh, because yeah. you don't really know the guys until they get in. And, and, but that's, what's fun about this business too, because you, you get these guys that were drafted first, second, third round, and they have these struggles and they get these guys coming undrafted and, and somehow they start playing better. And, and th- those are the fun stories to follow and see how they do once they, surpass us pretty quickly up into double a and and uh, so it's 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 a you know being around here and, and again like we were talking earlier about uh now that the snow is covering our field now and fielding calls from oakland and arizona talking about next year and new protocols and what they want to do and and uh first thing i always ask is how the weather is going and, and they don't they don't want to hear me tell them how things are here but i'd right. love to hear how how nice it is everywhere else it seems <laughs> yeah that's awesome well greg thank you so much for taking the time to come on to the pulling tart podcast really appreciate it um and uh yeah work work on getting the getting rid of the snow first before the season starts um but hope you have a great off season you get a lot a lot accomplished and um we'll stay in touch okay yeah, please do. We got we're working on a lot of fun things for next year for our fans, and again, we want to make it fun and and make make it practical. But you know, we want people out here having a ball, and you know what minor league baseball is all about. Yeah, that's for sure. Again, thank you so much, Greg. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, thanks, Bobby. He's leaving, leaving. Oh, that train, Georgia. Leaving on the train. Mm-hmm.
Listen to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.